Person of Interest Podcast, episode number six, The Secret Life of Walter Dang. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Hello, welcome to the Person of Interest podcast. Whether you are Team Samaritan or Team Machine, we're glad that you've joined us this week. Well, well, Team, I don't know. But anyway. Are, are, we, are we slowly welcoming those who are Team Machine? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Team Samaritan. I don't know if we want to welcome them, man, alive. You know, you never <laughs> know what's, uh, what these video feeds are going to do. That's true. We do have to be very, very... Uh, Cautious went around Team Samaritan folks. Well, we're still glad you're here. I'm Daryl, and my favorite equation is the pepper bacon theorem. It's the theorem that calculates the right amount of bacon, and even like something sweet like a little maple syrup, or or maybe uh, I don't know what else you could throw in there, in relation to the thick cut of the bacon to get just the right flavoring. It's a it's a spectacular theorem. It's my favorite. You know, you could have your own food uh, food network show, you know? Yeah, oh, sure. Like Absolutely. Oh, by the way, I'm Doug, and I'm wearing my fedora, my fake detective's badge, and my secret decoder ring. Thank you. <laughs> Good deal. I'm glad you have the secret decoder ring. That way you'll remember to drink your Ovaltine at some point before the end of the podcast. That's how I got it. Yeah. Boy, yeah. that's an old one. Thanks for thanks for joining us again, regardless of what team you're on. We're covering the Person of Interest episode, season four, episode six, which originally aired October twenty eighth, two thousand and fourteen, entitled "Pretenders." Yeah, I was oh, a little disappointed like they didn't walk five hundred miles. I know I used that joke last week, but this is the episode, <laughs> so I have to use the joke again. We should have had the uh, video, the audio clip of the pretender singing that. We could just bust into it if you'd like. No? Uh, maybe not. No? Are you sure? All right. I've <laughs> had trying, it in my head all afternoon. To to I don't do pretenders. <laughs> okay. You could pretend. I could pretend to be a pretender. Yeah. That it's would be really Millie Vanilli at that point. <laughs> Come on, where's my rim shot? Where's my rim Pre- shot? Pretenderception. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what we got there. Yes, all right. Oh, well. Well, this podcast is produced by Golden Spiral Media. We encourage you to check out the full line of Golden Spiral Media podcasts over at goldenspiralmedia.com slash podcasts. And if you're going to be doing any holiday shopping over on amazon.com, we would really appreciate you going and using the link goldenspiralmedia.com slash amazon. And then that'll take you right over to Amazon. You'll get the same great shipping, the great low prices, and they'll give us a little cut of your purchase that'll help pay the bills here at Golden Spiral Media. And we would sure appreciate that. The uh, the other thing you can do is you can patronize. Patronize so Golden Spiral Media. We have a Patreon page if you go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash POI. And there you get some nifty bonuses depending on your level of support. So that's another thing you can do as well. Indeed. Well, as Doug said, we are here talking about 
season four, episode six of Person of Interest. I don't know if you said that part, but you did say it's called Pretenders. And this was written by Ashley Gable and directed by Stephen Sergic, I believe is how that's pronounced. That's how we're going to pronounce it anyway. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what we're going to do, whether it's right or not. Yes. He didn't call in to tell us you know, whether it's right or not. He so. didn't, but if he wants to, we would love to have a chat with him, not only about the pronunciation and perhaps even the origins of his name, but all kinds of great directory type of stuff, person of interesty type of stuff. We'd but, have plenty of questions, absolutely. Yeah, we would. Do you have plenty of news for us? I do have plenty of news. Oh, my goodness. Person of interest this week went to 1.6. We were kind of, you know, bouncing at the 1.5 level a couple of weeks. We went back up to 1.6 in the 18 to 49 demographic, and we had 9.7 million viewers, which is a lot better than last week. Mm -hmm. If you consider, again, you've got the ratings in the magic demographic versus the viewers of, you know, everybody. We came in about sixth or seventh in terms of everything for last Tuesday night. The World Series was was going on, of course, uh, Game Six, so we had that to, to contend with, and that was on you know the whole eight to eleven uh, time slot there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, nine point seven million viewers is actually just in the viewer ca- uh, category. It's like about fifth or so, but if you factor in the rating as well, you know some you know things like Agents of Shield. Has a one had a one point seven. We had a one point six, but they had four point five million viewers, less than half of ours. So you know, it's just the magic people who have all the money to spend and stuff like that. So there you are. Yep. And Lawrence Griffin let us know that up in Canada, uh, the episode Wingman again made the thirty most watched shows, finishing eleventh with two million viewers up there. So that's a that's a good thing to do good stat to have and it makes it you know more likely that we're going to get another season out of this i was reading an article about all the shows on all the networks and uh, whether it's likely or sure thing or not going to happen or one thing and person of interest is like very likely so that's good to hear you know what i wonder doug we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that cbs has their own app now where you can stream their shows and their episodes through their app and i was on the cbs website today and I noticed that you can get a, I think it was a free week or something like that. So there's a free trial period that you can take advantage of. And I just got to wondering, are they going to report the numbers of views that they get through that app? I would really like for them to, you would think that they would so that they can monetize it, but that doesn't mean they have to disclose that publicly. They may only just disclose that to prospective advertisers, but I, you know, I, as as a viewer of a show who's nerdy enough to actually keep up with ratings, I would I would like it if they would at least quarterly. I don't more often than that, but I'm just you know sometime give us those numbers. Would Would you like to know too, or is it just me? No, I would too. I would be interested to see if they can figure out you know the ages of the folks who are watching it. I would think that they would be more in the magic demographic. Mm-hmm. You know, the older folks are not necessarily watching stuff on their tablets or DVRing and stuff like that. So. So I would think that that would boost those numbers as well, you know. So, uh, yeah, that'd be interesting to know. Yep. Well, I guess the only time will tell on that anyway. So episode ratings for this week. What was your episode rating, Doug? 
I gave it eight umbrellas to the face. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I think it might have been one of our callers. It might have been somewhere on on Facebook or somewhere that I saw this. So I, I may be stepping ahead of somebody who's going to comment later on. But somebody mentioned that it reminded them of. Oh, it was, it was definitely on our Facebook page. Uh, it, when he hit that guy with the umbrella, it reminded them of of Ben Linus and that stick that he would use to hit people with when he was on Lost. <laughs> He's not going to get away from that lost persona, let me tell you right now. No way. No way. Well, I gave it seven burner phones. This was probably the episode I've liked the least in a really long time. Hey, it was still an episode of Person of Interest. I still really enjoyed it. <laughs> I still enjoyed it, even my second watch. But it may be a little bit because last week was so, so good. Uh, seven burner phones for me. Yeah, it's it's it has a tough time competing with... Uh, what happened last week, mm -hmm. and uh, so, but yeah, I can see that. Todd, who wrote to us, and we'll we'll hear his feedback later. He call he gave it eight forges, forged badges. A little, little, that's a tongue twister. Nice, Todd. And Andrew gave it nine hours in coach. Not that it was <laughs> long, strenuous to watch, of, of course. Long flight to Hong Kong, yes, yeah. indeed. It's funny, Andrew, that you put that. I almost used that same thing as my. Uh, as my rating, I was going to give it seven hours in coach, but I, I didn't know it with burner phones instead. So I like where you went with that, Andrew. Great minds think alike, I guess. Absolutely. Now we named our episode, the, the, the actual episode was named pretenders, but we named our episode, the secret life of Walter Dang. So just as you speculated last week, Doug, you were spot on once again. There were definitely some similarities or some homage being paid to the secret life of Walter Mitty. Yeah, from the uh, source of all true knowledge, Wikipedia, <laughs> uh, the secret life of Walter Mitty, most folks, I think these days, I mean, if you, you kind of hear it in cultural references, but most folks right now would remember the 2013 film. But it was actually a uh, short story written by James Thurber back in 1939, and the most famous of his stories. It first appeared in the New Yorker, on, on the New Yorker magazine on March 18th. Uh, the story is considered one of Thurber's acknowledged masterpieces. It was made into a 1947 movie of the same name, uh, but the movie was very different from the original story, much like the 2013 film was. The name Walter Mitty and the derivative word Mitty-esque, has entered the English language donating an either an ineffectual person who spends more time in heroic daydreams than paying attention to the real world, which is what Walter Mitty did, or more seriously, one who intentionally attempts to mislead or convince others that he's something that he's not. And that is exactly what we got out of Walter Dang this time around. So that's that was why I, when I saw the summary of the episode you know the 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 text about it and then saw the name walter it's like oh that's got to be it that's got to be it so yeah we had a walter mitty-esque show yeah we definitely did i read i don't i thought it was on the ign review that i, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that i really enjoyed these although i forgot to read it last week but matt fowler does such a good job of reviewing every episode over there on ign and I, I'm looking at it now, and I don't see it there, so it might have been on the actual Person of Interest wiki page. Let me look here. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was on the Person of Interest wiki, and I don't know who wrote that, this this particular piece of that that article that they have written up there now. But, you know, thinking about, in this in this episode, Walter Dang being the main POI's name, and Dang even being kind of a 
a word that we say if we're not comfortable saying the other word, you Something know? Else, yes. Yeah, and and when you think about the persona of Walter Dang in this episode, he was pretending to be a, a a police detective. He was pretending to be a superhero of sorts and he wasn't even, comfortable with just who he was. Yeah, yeah. And he was kind of taking a, a different route and, and you know, something in the secret life of Walter Mitty that in that story, as you just said, I mean, he's got he's got a life that's not colorful at all. And so his his imagination is what brings color to his life. And here's a here's a name, Walter Dang. And that word Dang we use because it's not as colorful as the other word is. And so we can get away with it. And <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about that correlation oh. until I read that. So oh, I thought it's good. True, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, he he does a he really enjoys his his persona. You don't know how long he's been doing it necessarily, but he's got he's got the fedora, he's got the outfit all set to go. You know, when it comes time that he realizes that there's something he needs to investigate, uh, Abel's sister Elena mm-hmm. at uh, at Witherton Insurance. You know, something went went wrong there. So he is deciding to go out and do the investigating investigating himself. Now he seems to have done this before. He, you know, seemed to be looking on all the right places, and uh, it was interesting when uh, Shaw and John were following him, concerned about maybe, you know, he's trying to mess up the crime scene and trying to, you know, to something so very uh, you know, nefarious, but it, not that at all. And it's just, just, it was very interesting to see them start that way, and then, re- and then when the realization comes that no, this is just a uh, a wannabe. Yeah, well, that was that was a whole different. And then John's whole demeanor changed, you know. Hey, just let me let me deal with this guy. Look, uh, Detective Forge, and he's really playing it up. Yeah, that was great. And it, it threw me for a loop I, as, as we're watching him. And as, at the very beginning, we see him in the insurance agency, and he tells the, the, the lady that he likes, it's her brother that's died, yeah, I'm working on that, that talking about the suicide note, and it's like, what even she says what you know and then he goes to the crime scene and it's like what is what is he doing why is he he's playing like he's a cop now and he's a very bad cop he almost got himself killed you know and it so it was it was really interesting to watch this guy try to be something that he's not he's incredibly ill-equipped but he's He's equipped with the tactical skills, but he's got maybe the mental chops to to at least break some ground, but he doesn't. Like, when he came in on that office and those two guys were in there setting the place on fire, you know, he breaks it open. What was his name? Uh, What what was his uh, alias in this? uh, uh, The the Forge? What was it? what was the first Jack name? Forge, Jack Forge. Detective Jack Forge. It was almost, uh, you know, Dragnet or something. Yeah, yeah. And, And immediately has to run away because he, he about gets shot. So I, I rather enjoyed it. I, at first, it took me a little bit, obviously, to figure out what he was doing, what his motive was. Was he good, bad? What, what was he doing? But after that, I, I really enjoyed watching him uh, uh, do his thing. The reason I voted the episode down or graded the episode down a little bit was just because we didn't get enough of Team Machine uh, or, the, or the Machine Samaritan storyline that we did tie in. That was great. And, of course, no root, but... But I I did enjoy the the Walter Dang storyline itself. I think that his going in when you know he didn't realize what was going on. He just knew there's some people there. And he didn't realize that, realize that they were they would shoot back. Right. They were trying to burn the place down. They're trying to murder uh, Van Hess. But he did come in with a gun, whether it was loaded or not, or the plastic one or not. I don't know. But he did try to come in and try to break something up. So he had you see at the beginning where he's got some bit of 
uh, courage right from the beginning. He's not some cowardly lion. He'll he'll do it. But as soon as he sees other guns coming out at him, man, he's he's made a beeline. Yeah, you know, it hadn't even occurred to me that maybe the gun wasn't loaded or that it was fake. I I took it for loaded and ready to go, but based on his response, maybe it wasn't loaded. That's a good that's a good point. My, that's my guess. I bet he had nothing in it, and he was ju- it was just a prop, just like his badge and his fedora. Yeah. Uh, so, but but so he wasn't prepared for real live resistance, and so you know, who are you? You know, and then he's he's uh, clearly uh, not a cop, but. Uh, but that I, I thought that was that at the beginning. I think now that I look back at this, f- kind of foreshadowed his courageous act at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, this did not come out of nowhere. He had some modicum of courage to deal with this sort of thing, and re- he really wanted to enough so that he would do something like that. So yeah. I think that's where it came from. Yeah, it reminded me of is it the second Batman movie where you know we see the fake Batman. And, and, you know, they're, they're not really Batman. I mean, obviously they're not, but that's what it reminded me of. This guy is trying to be a hero. He sees a need, you know, at the, near the end of the movie or, or uh, more like the middle of the show, not, not, a, not a movie either, but um, he's having that conversation with John and he's talking about the man in the suit and the man in the suit disappeared and crime has gone up. And I, I think that he thought I'm inspired by this guy, this, this vigilante man in the suit was making a difference in our city. Dad Gummit, I'm going to do it too. If he can do it, I can do it too. It at least inspired by him. I, obviously, his tactical background could not be farther from what John Reese's is. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know the background of the man in the suit. But I, you know, I and I appreciate that about it. It almost got him killed a couple of times. But you do. It takes a certain amount of conviction and courage to do what he was even willing to step out and do. And you got you have to appreciate that. To even go to the crime scenes and try to actually do some investigating, you know, that's you're you're putting yourself out there. You know, who knows who could be watching and that sort of thing. And in this case, Team Machine was, thank goodness. But uh, yeah, yeah, I liked I liked we, we did the superhero thing. You know, he's he's he thought of the man in the suit as a superhero, but at the same time, like when uh, when Reese gets him off, hopefully in a you know in a place where he's safe for now, you see Shaw and Fusco kind of. You know, walk in, you know, with the, you know, the slow motion. Fusco's got the shades, you know. It's She's like, getting oh, out of the sports alive. car. Yeah, so it was a classic. And, I mean, he even talks about, I mean, it's a classic line. Cause you, and, and this is one I was expecting because I saw it in the in the previews. Okay. How do you, how do, you do that with your voice? <laughs> yeah. That was a great line. That was one of my favorite lines of the episode. But, you know, that's the thing that I've often wondered, like, why does Reese talk like this? Every line, he's got that whispered effect. Not like the quite the gruff line like Christian Bale's Batman does, but it's it's got a certain amount of whisper. To, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to I'm going to try to try to work on that. Wow, that is good. So you, you you'll make this podcast even more interesting. Yes, that's right. Let's be my superhero voice. I'll <laughs> kneecap you if you don't like it. Oh man, I, I'm glad we're separated by a few hundred miles here. My goodness. <laughs> I would walk 400 miles. Come on, how have you done it at some point? Oh, man. Well, I, t- I tell you, I liked this this episode, if nothing else, and that may be, and some people may have uh, you know, knocked it down their own uh, ratings because of this, but it, it showed it didn't take itself too seriously. It did poke fun at its own characters. 
And so there was, it was in, in a sense a comedy, so to speak. You know, this may be one of those episodes that some folks say, I wish we hadn't had such a long uh, season because you get fluff episodes like this one. I don't know. I, I Yes, it may slightly advance the background uh, storyline. It kind of has a little fun with it. You know, I like that kind of stuff. You know, it, it gives the uh, it gives the the characters, you know, more depth, more. Um, uh, you see another side of them that you wouldn't normally see if you have to be bang, bang, bang and and advancing a plot every single week you know, uh, with the, the pedal to the metal here. But we do get a little advancement, but we still have some fun. I like that one. Yeah, you're, you, I think you're absolutely right that this is an episode that we wouldn't have gotten if the if the seasons were 13 episode seasons. There's, if you want to call it fluff, I think that that that's appropriate. And that's part of, part of the reason why I rated it down a little bit. But as I said already, that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy the episode. It was really interesting to see the POI team from an outsider's point of view. Why aren't you and her dating? That's not your girlfriend, you know? <laughs> Why do you talk like that? Is that your real voice? You're well, a superhero. Well, and that's a good question, you know? too, because you wonder what has, you know, like you said, from the outside, does anybody even know what's going on from the outside? And we find out, yeah, if you're paying attention, people do find out. That's right, which is really interesting and Again, we talked last week about Reese. If he didn't quit shooting his gun, he's gonna the, the Samaritan's gonna notice him. Well, now Walter uh, Dane kind of lucked his way into discovering the man in the suit. But if the if if a guy like Walter Dang can luck his way into discovering the identity of the man in the suit, well, Samaritan could too. I mean, so I don't know if we need to read into that or not. If it's just something that is irrelevant, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but it's interesting. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here for the next hour. <laughs> the uh, the introduction of Elias this week was uh, was good as well. Not the introduction, but w- as he get in- gets into this, uh, this yeah. episode. The infusion of, of Elias. Yes, there we go. Yeah. That was a, you know, I was watching the show and I thought, what, Elias is a receptionist now? And it turns out it's not his place, but they, I can see him doing that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you've got Reese actually having to go and figure out what the deal is and realize that he he can't handle this alone. We were with, uh, you know, uh, Harold is off on uh, some junket, and he needs a little more uh, firepower and a little more backup than, he's, than, than he can provide, and I'm sure he can't really bring in the New York... Police department quite as easily, but you know that was it was great to to have him in there and to kind of flesh out his character a little more. He's been in the back burner because the actor has been on another TV show for a couple of years now, and so but now we're bringing him back in and and realizing he's been a kind of a a nice guy in the interim, you know, helping them out and kind of always sly and not really sure, but he always helps them out. Well, now we're seeing that uh, Elias is. Helping you out as far as you, as far as he needs you to get, so that he can, you know, can continue to assert his control over the city. And then, of course, we see near the end there, where he and Dominic are essentially now fighting for control of New York City. Yeah, and how fantastic was that? For the first half of the episode, it was fine. the The A storyline with Walter, I'm enjoying, but I'm not. It's not paying me the dividends that I want this show to pay me with the storylines that I want, right? 
and um, but I'm enjoying it. It's fine. Now, the the storyline that we'll talk to in a minute, we've alluded to a couple of times with, with Harold and where he's at in Hong Kong. Clearly, that was the B storyline of this episode. I've, I hoped it would have some payoff, but it, it was just, I wasn't, you know, at that point in the episode, I didn't know. But at about the halfway point or so, whenever that commercial break arrives and we get uh, Elias brought into this episode, that started to save the episode for me and give me more of what I'm looking for. I, I, I say it every week. You give me Elias, you give me Root, I'm a happy camper usually because of what those two characters bring to the story, the type of presence they have, the type of action and the dialogue that they have or what, what the story will turn because of their very presence into the episode. This is no exception. This is my favorite occurrence of Elias that we've had in three seasons probably now uh, since since season one. It was so good because, as you mentioned, he's been, he was in jail he was underground, you know, because of the actor doing other things. Now we're getting him every other week or so, and it's it's wonderful. We're getting to see in this episode a side of Elias that we haven't got to see in a couple of seasons because he was in jail, because he was hiding. But now he's out. Now he has reestablished himself uh, by the looks of things here to to the powerhouse that he once was. What's going to be so, so interesting to me, Doug, we see here that he and Reese, and, and we saw it last week where he and Finch, they have a professional relationship. They respect each other. They will use each other when they have to. They obviously don't work together. They're not on the same team in that sense, but they will work together when they need to. We saw it again here, but they're not on the same team. They will find themselves opposed to one another at some point just because of the sheer odds of, of what their individual goals are. And I, you know, I, that's very intriguing to me. I, I don't know if I want that right away or not, but I'm, I'm very intrigued by that idea. And I love that he came in in this episode and it not only saved the necks of the good guys, but then that final scene with him and Dominic was absolutely Fantastic. So that that really did a lot to save this episode for me. Well, now you have, I like the way they've done this because, again, without Elias before, you had things like Decibel. You you didn't didn't really have too much of a uh, conflict. Now, when we had uh, Vigilance, yes, they were against Decima, but as it turns out, they were, you know, a, a tool. They were patsies for Decima. In this case, we know darn sure, dang sure, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. that that these two forces are, you know, both, in, you know, unstoppable forces. And they're, they they're going to come together. And I like the fact that we've got a really good, um, a really good conflict set up. We actually now have, you know, four sides. We've got Team Machine. We've got Team Samaritan. We've got uh, the Brotherhood. And we have Elias's crowd like that. And the Elias and Dominic doesn't don't know anything about the machine but they do know at least Elias knows something something's up something mm-hmm. this this team machine crowd is they've got some kind of a little inside track here but we've got four sides we had three sides at one point with decima and vigilance and team machine this time we've got four and i thought we had a uh, last uh, year we had a very crowded stage this year ugh, it's getting it's getting really crowded again yeah it, it certainly is and it these tend to, at least in my mind, blend a little bit better with the overall storyline than HR did, for example. Even though HR would 
was was playing in with Fusco and Carter and some of the other things that were happening there with the NYPD. Because of Elias's relationship with Team Machine, because Elias mentioned that something is wrong, something bigger in the world is amiss, and because of the way that he stands to benefit or stand as a, as a really key player to benefit Team Machine, I see this as a as a much better blending of these two storylines. So even though there are four parties involved here, and Elias has his his battle, if you will, with the Brotherhood. And we have Samaritan with their battle with the machine. I don't feel as much as though these are really separate storylines as I did with, you know, Team Machine and the uh, the HR storyline that we had prior to these season, this season. So I, I'm really digging this. I, I feel like it's a nice complementary storyline. HR fleshed out Carter and Fusco and gave something for Team Machine to, to deal with, and some things would relate back to it. But yeah, this time around, we have, a, uh, we have one that's... We have essentially four sides that are all going to relate to each other, whether they know it or not. Which just says to me, boy, the, the season finale is going to be big, really big. Yeah, we got some comment on that from Barb. You know, we had mentioned last week about the climactic collision course that these two machines are on and and when will that collision occur will it be this season or some point in the future and barb's going to chime in on that when we get to our feedback here in just a little bit but it's really really compelling and uh, i i I liked the elias uh, point of view here i liked the rescuing of the guns essentially and also the rescuing of walter that scene i mean it was a it was a good you know a nice shootout thing going on and walter's just down there screaming ah (laughs) yeah, <laughs> it's classic, uh, classic Walter Mitty. Yeah, but the, <laughs> the to, again two things. Number one, we had Walter essentially taking a bullet for Reese mm-hmm. when he realized he could do that, and I that I you know I think like I said that was that was foreshadowed at the beginning when he actually has a bit of uh, courage against the fellows doing the uh, the murdering Van Hess. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, you know, he's just like, that was so awesome! <laughs> you know, that was... It, 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 oh, it was perfectly in character. They had this guy down, you know. Uh, the, the the personality just... Uh, you know, he's it's like... You know, it's almost like a, a kid who plays, uh, you know, D&D on, you know, paper and with paper and pencil you know maybe miniatures and stuff and all of a sudden he's in it you know man you know and take out the dragon yes you know that's he's he's been imagining it all this time and maybe a little more uh, in real life but that was uh i loved his uh the, the the way they portrayed him there it didn't seem over the top it just seemed it seemed like that's something he would say yeah that was really cool but at the same time, he was like, "Yeah, I got my fill. You know, here's the ba- here's the badge going into the trash. Yes. I'm good to go." Now, how much of that was because he got his fill, and how much of it was, "Hey, I I just impressed the girl that I I've, I've got the eye for. I don't need this badge anymore. I've I've just scored the points I needed to score." And and then of course you know when she sees him there and he's in the arm in a sling and a whole bit, and she says, "Oh, did you hurt yourself?" And and Reese says, "Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't uh-huh. say it. It's just a scratch." <laughs> you said it. You know, it's just Again, a flesh classic. Wound. Yeah. Now let me ask you this: This is backing up just a hair, but during the rescue scene, we get Scarface front and center, but we saw him earlier in the episode. He was the FBI guy that took. Walter out of the police station. Did you recognize him then, or did did because it just was just a glance, or 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 did you not recognize him then? 
I missed him. I missed him completely. I mean, they, they were trying to keep his, obviously keep his identity secret. And mm-hmm. when they showed him, I didn't, I, in fact, you, you just saying that now was, was, was the first time I realized that. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, having seen him in the, uh, in the shootout, I it, it still didn't make the connection. I see. Well, and I, I recognized the face as a face that I, that is familiar. I'm like that guy that was in the FBI jacket We've seen him before, and I couldn't figure it out. My brain's going, I don't know. I didn't see the scar. I just saw the the like the eyes and the eyebrows is what did it for me. But then oh, okay. when we saw him he, later in the episode, I'm like, ah, that's who it was. It was Scarface. But yeah, I, so I, I kind of made the connection, but then didn't fully make the connection until we saw him later on. And in case you're wondering, that's the character's name is Scarface. That's how he's credited. Yeah, he does have an actual name that we caught at some point, but... Scarface is what we all know him as. He's got that <laughs> scar on his face. It makes sense. There you are. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we've got the the B story as well, and it was mm-hmm. given really short shrift, but it was it developed very quickly. Uh, Finch in Hong Kong, and I'm started to wonder if this thing in Hong Kong was something he set up himself. If he meant to go there because he knew this particular you know, conference was going on and he wanted to meet Beth Bridges or whether it was something the machine set up. I, 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 man, I was going to say something the machine set up except that he was prepared for it. So my guess is, and he didn't tell the, the, the group though, if he planned it, I would think he would have told the group, yes, this is that, he, he wouldn't have used the excuse, oh, this is something they want me to go on, the university wants me to go on. He would have said, I'm going there to, you know, plant a bug in somebody's computer. But, so I'm not, I'm not sure exactly where that went, where where it came from. Well, I was I was asking the exact same questions. You know, the, the way we ended last week was him looking up at the camera and telling the machine that they needed to have a chat. So we're presuming they had that chat, and maybe as a direct result of that chat, or maybe you know after that chat, the machine assigned him this, or maybe he discovered it on his own. It, it is a little bit weird. It's also a little bit weird that. Shaw was turned into the computer nerd this week because he was at a town. You would think that Root would be much more capable mm-hmm. to sit in that nerd chair than Shaw was, although she did she did a pretty good job, much better than I would have thought she would have been able to do with some of the fact-finding and information digging that needed to be done. So that I, I, I don't know. I wondered the same thing, and I wondered, I wondered where was Root in this episode because there seemed to have been a spot for her. Yeah, she could have filled that right, uh, filled in very well there. Yeah, I, I liked the, some of the 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 discussion that Finch had with uh, Beth Bridges, and it kind of I kind of expected it. It, it made uh, it made sense to me, you know, where she is, and I began to think that she was already on Team Samaritan because she was talking about well, well, Finch was talking about a uh, right to responsible scientists yeah. when she's talking about. Oh, just a right to science. And, and, you know, that's, you know, the whole ethics issue in, in science is, has been going on for, you know, who knows, centuries. Uh, but the idea of knowledge for knowledge's sake versus doing the, the right thing with it. If we create nuclear, you know, if we understand the atom, what do we do with it? Do we create nuclear power or do we create a bomb, you know? So, I think, you know, that's the kind of thing with AIs now. What do we do with them? And we have it, of course, right in front of us. She doesn't see it yet, but uh, we have the machine versus Samaritan and a one that is 
run with a certain set of ethics versus one that is has been given essentially full run of the uh, the asylum here. So that was a, a you get to see in a kind of a microcosm in those those uh, few discussions they had the the ethical issue that is the whole uh, the whole the, the bigger picture the big tapestry. Yeah, and I always I'm a big sucker for these. I I really enjoy them. Um, Fringe was wonderful at this. You know, Walter Bishop was a man who was paying for the sins of his youth when he was full of hubris and said numerous times, uh, "We only thought about." what we could do we never stopped to say should we do it you know i'm I'm paraphrasing that but that's that's really uh almost a quote there and 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 that's kind of the the argument that we see here between beth and finch in this episode where he's taking one approach and she's taking the other as you just perfectly said that that uh, of of how they, they were were arguing it where he's saying there's got to be some ethics you know we can't just do it for science's sake for for the for knowledge for the pursuit of development and and um gosh the word you get you got to think about the the consequences of right. what you create you can't just sit there and create it and say oh there we go now uh you all do what you want with it i'm going to do you know, something else you know there's there needs to be a a thought process is this is this something that we need to, you know, there's there are plenty of people who think that uh, we should do whatever, what you know, no no rules essentially, no ethics, mm-hmm. no no because that's constraining. I think that Greer is a personification of that point of view, and it exists, uh, you know, uh, in in that in uh, not not just in you know this TV show, but also exists out in the world. So yes, there is a. I think there's a need to have an ethical framework, if you will, for some kind of, for, for, for the idea of when I'm creating something, when I'm learning something, where are we going to go? Not just, not just there, but beyond that. You yeah. got to think ahead. And that's what, what basically Finch was saying. You don't feel the ends justify the means was the question he was asked. And I think he would answer no. Exactly. Yeah. I think he would absolutely answer that. And that, that lined up directly with what we saw him struggling with last week in the flashbacks and the caution that he that he gave toward toward Root in that conversation that they had. So I, I love this. I loved this part of the episode. It was I, you know, we only got a little bit of it, but it was that this scene, the scenes we got with Harold and that the last scene we got with Dominic and Elias were my favorite parts of this episode. But I was really trying to figure out what was going on with here with Harold and and Beth because you know he was flirting with her at times, and I'm like. You can't flirt with other girls. Yes. Come on, man. You're going to get your girl. When this all is done, you're going to get your girl back. You can't be flirting with other girls. I'm not, I don't want to see you romantically attracted to anybody else. That's going to be complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it turned out, of course, by the end, we know that it was all just a little game he was playing. To get something on her computer or some hardware in it or some software, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and it'll be great it to see what he, how, how that pays off because, you know, apparently she is on Decima's radar. I, if there is still a Decima or if it's just Samaritan, uh, Samaritan's radar. He right. And Greer, well, Greer doesn't even really, I don't, I don't know why she's, you know, got the attention of Samaritan, but she has. Okay, Doug, this to me has me... A little bit concerned, but you know, again, again, it's ripping right out of the headlines. We're seeing multiple headlines a week. If you're reading the right, you know, techie places, that some of the world's leading tech minds 
are starting to caution us about our pursuit of AI and where that could lead. You know, they're even, it's like, it's like sci-fi movies. They're like, Hey, look, this is going to, the end result of this will be the destruction of mankind. You know, those, those sorts of warnings are, are starting to be, be laid out there. So with that in mind, and you look at Greer here, his comments that he made at the end of this episode where he's saying, I don't know. I don't know what the Samaritan wants with this information or, or with these algorithms. It wants them. So it gets whatever it wants. I mean, how dangerous is that? Where Greer is, is just saying whatever Samaritan wants is whatever Samaritan gets. Do you foresee a spot where Greer goes, oh, crap, I've created a monster and now I need to switch teams because we, we have to destroy this monster that I've created? Or do you think the monster that is Samaritan will just kill Greer? Or do you think Greer just go on with it as long as Greer has breath in his lungs? Where, where do you see this thing going? I see Greer as Dr. Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he has created a monster and he had... Uh, all these wonderful ideas for it, and he had all these, he placed onto it all of his uh, trust and all of his, the things that he wanted to get done. But he's finding out that the uh, the Frankenstein's monster has a mind of its own. And he is, he doesn't care at this point. Again, he still fully trusts it. I think that you know, as the trope goes, the monster, you know, comes to life and turns on its creator. And I have a feeling that that is, I think that's where we're headed at this point. That's the perfect analogy that you just uh, laid out. It is, it, it could be, we don't know. He may he may look at his, you know, the, the creation that he has made and go, it is good. Yeah. But yeah, he could be like Dr. Frankenstein too and, and, and realize the, the error of his ways. And uh, and with Jonathan Nolan behind this, I can also see maybe making us look that way and all of a sudden a little twist is introduced such that we find out that Greer has full control, really, over Samaritan, Samaritan. somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike Finch's, you know, kind of loose connection with the machine, you know, that maybe there could be a kind of a, a twist there and I can see a, a Nolan-esque twist like that coming down later i can't predict at all what it would be but right now it looks like doc frankenstein and the monster yeah i'm fascinated by this i, I really am it's it's so intriguing to me to, to try to figure out how big samaritan is going to get what greer's where or will he draw a line uh that that he can no longer cross i i'm i'm so intrigued by the even the idea that greer and Finch could find themselves on the same team at some point. Wouldn't that be? Awesome? Oh no, that would be a real, real twist. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. But you're right. The Nolan brothers, by the way, Interstellar's coming out this weekend. Another. Uh, oh, that's next weekend. Next weekend, uh, another Christopher Nolan uh, film. This is Jonathan Nolan doing this show. They're so good at everything they do. They've never done anything that I haven't thoroughly enjoyed, and, and this show and, is And Greer yeah. is related to them, too, so That's I right. would think that they would have something really snazzy in in uh, in store for um, for their uncle. <laughs> I would think so, too. Yeah. And he's so good. He plays the part so well. I love it. Um, so what does Samaritan want? with Beth's algorithms. Do you do you have any ideas? And 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 the other question is what it has uh Finch done to her computer? Well, 
Yeah, for starters, I think that Samaritan sees some more knowledge that he can, you know, these algorithms that can make the AI better. Maybe he can incorporate them into his own programming. That's my, that's the easy answer there. That's what I think might be happening. Or he is, he, Samaritan believes it's smart enough and wants to get rid of her, uh, that sort of thing, track her and see what's going on. Or maybe, or bring her into the uh, Samaritan team, much like he did in the, uh, in the, the, first, uh, the second uh, episode. Right. Uh, find somebody who can solve puzzles and all that sort of thing, encryption, and bring them in. So it may be a part of the team. It may be to bring somebody in who can better his own programming. As far as what Finch put on her computer, my guess is it's either some sort of a, uh, a you know tracking bug just to see where she is, because if she is taken in by the Samaritan team, they can use that to locate where they're based out of. Mm. Or it could be, you know, some software that's been loaded up to uh, upload her her information or keep track of, you know, what she's doing so that they can be... Uh, my guess is that Finch has seen that what she's working on would be interesting to Samaritan or Greer. Uh, and so my that's, that's my guess. We got to keep an eye on her and make sure that she doesn't fall into the dark side. Yeah. 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 I, I have very similar thoughts to that. I'm thinking it's some sort of a bug or, or a, a key stroking bug or, or, or key, key logger of some sort that will help them learn her algorithms so that, um, you know, the machine can use those and try to stay up one step ahead uh, of Samaritan like it is in some ways right now. How scary was it though when they showed that worldwide map and you see the red all over the world to to show the the presence of Samaritan. We've talked about how our team machine is primarily focused in New York, but that's just the team machine side of it. You know, Northern Lights was also or is also a, a worldwide network of information, and and uh, we've seen it take us to the Black Sea and things like that before. So, uh, you know, again, no no surprise here to see that that they've got kind of the same. Um, ubiquitous nature i guess you could say as as team machine or or the machine has they've got um, shell corporation set up all over the place to mm-hmm. try i mean you know south africa i was looking around on that all through the u.s europe uh southeast asia and it's you know it, it, it makes sense it's not something that maybe the viewer would have thought of before but then they come you know they they make it very graphically obvious hey these folks have got their their fingers not just like in New York City, as we keep uh, saying, because that's where our our crowd is, but they do have their fingers, you know, stretched out throughout the whole uh, the whole planet. So we're going to have, uh, you know, again this this battle between the machine and Samaritan would take place not just in New York City, but it would be a worldwide event. Mm-hmm. Pretty scary stuff. Well, what else for you on the uh, on the storylines of this week's episode? I think we did a good job with it. Are you have you beaten the horse enough? Yes, yes. Yeah, beating the deceased equine. <laughs> well, having having beaten the 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 deceased equine, let's move on to surveillance in the news. What do you have for us this week? Uh, well, it's very very interesting. It ju- I just saw it uh today or yesterday on the Drudge Report. The New Scientist is the website and it says computer 
with human-like learning will program itself. And the article says, your smartphone's amazing, but ask it to do something it doesn't have an app for, and it just sits there. Without programmers to write apps, computers are useless. That's what keeps me in business. Thank you very much. Okay. But that could soon change. DeepMind Technologies, a London-based AI firm acquired by Google this year, mm -hmm. Big Pockets, has revealed that it is designing computers that combine the way ordinary computers work with the way the human brain works. This they call the hybrid uh, neural Turing, Turing machine after, oh, for crying out loud, I ought to know his first name, Mr. Turing, Alan Turing, I think who he came up with the, uh, the idea of, of some, some concepts in computation. The hope is it won't need programmers and will instead program itself. Now, this is kind of a, this is me on the side here, kind of the holy grail of programming for a while to have a programmer, a, a computer program itself. This is what I need, so go do it. And uh, so we are getting closer to it. Uh, neural networks, and neural networks have been around for a long time, which make up half of DeepMind's computer architecture, have been around for decades, and there you go, but are receiving renewed attention as more powerful computers take advantage of them. The idea is to split processing across a network of artificial neurons, and so this is kind of uh, simulating the brain, uh, simple units that process an input and pass it on. These networks are good at learning to recognize pieces of data and classify them into categories. Facebook recently trained a neural network to identify faces with what they call near-human accuracy. While that's impressive, the flip side is that neural networks struggle with basic computational tasks like copying and storing data, so they're not really set up for that. These neural networks that are so good at recognizing patterns are not so good at doing stuff your calculator has done for a long time. So, the idea is to kind of combine these two. Now, the issue had always been didn't have enough computing power to do it. The ultimate goal is a machine now with the number-crunching power of a conventional computer that can also learn and adapt like a human. So DeepMind's solution is to add a large external memory that can be accessed in many different ways, which mathematician Alan Turing realized was a key part of ordinary computer architecture, hence the name the neural Turing machine. This gives the neural network something like a human's working memory, the ability to quickly store and manipulate a piece of data, but also learn. So, yes, indeedy, that's, uh, that's coming along. This is not, uh, like I said, there were stories like this when I was in going to college in, uh, in uh, the early 80s and, you know, doing a computer major. There had been stories about that. The uh, the neural network thing had been uh, something that was invented later on and it was, you know, they were doing some very interesting things with it, but the computing power at the time just couldn't handle it. So now, now again. Boy, it just really gives you a, a, so much of a deeper appreciation of, of just how powerful our own brains are that in, in, in ways like this, I mean, computers are, are closer than they ever have been before, but yet still so far away and, and also sacrificing in other areas that, you know, obviously as humans, we have varying capacities to handle those sorts of functions, even within ourselves. But, but still, it really gives you a, a tremendous amount of appreciation for just what our brains are, are capable of, you know, stuck inside our skulls the way they are. These computers, we're talking about massive networks uh, that, and, and taking up tremendous amounts of, of space and, and all the other things that go along with, with it. So it's really cool when you think about it in those terms. Yeah, I mean, you've got a piece of meat in your skull mm -hmm. that is doing something that, as snazzy as the computers we have are now, uh, the computers we have now, um, 
it, it they can't hold a candle to it. Yeah. I'll tell you, the other thing that was really cool this week is I sent this article to you, uh, was it last night or, or today, this morning sometime? And mm-hmm. you're like the machine. You're like, I already got this, man. I already saw this piece of information and I've already put it in the show notes. So uh, I'm ahead of you, man. You are being watched. That's right. <laughs> Doug Payton is our own machine. On team machine. <laughs> He's a machine. Oh, my goodness. That's right. I, I, that, that explains the one time I punched you in the face and it felt like I was hitting titanium. And your and eye the, began and, to glow and, red. And the red glowing eye. Yeah. 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 <laughs> With, with the contact uh, lens. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Good stuff. Really good article. And there's just so much happening in the world around us with technology and with uh, surveillance and just so many different things. We're never at a loss of articles to share on, on the segment of our of our show. That's for sure. I keep collecting them. And then, you know, between uh, the episode and the time we put the show notes together, something else comes up even more current. So, yeah, I am not going to be at a loss. But if you want to send your ideas, your um, uh, news articles you might see, go ahead and uh, toss them our way. The uh, Twitter account is at POI Podcast GSM. Just tweet them to us and we'll take a look at them. Indeedy. All right, let's do some feedback. What do you say? I like that idea. All right, let's uh, start out with some audio feedback that we got because I forgot to put it in the notes and I don't want to forget. (laughs) (laughs) And this comes in from our good friend, Barb. Hi, Daryl and Doug. This is Barb calling in about this week's POI Epi Pretenders. I'm not going to rate this Epi because last week's was a hard act to follow. While we did have our number of the week, what I really liked was that the story continued its forward momentum and Harold and our machine are moving from pure survival to an underground movement. It almost felt like the beginning of the French resistance in World War II. We could presume that Harold and our machine had their little chat prior to his trip, and Harold apparently trusts the machine enough to move forward with this plan. The machine watched Harold with his little yellow admin box as Harold conned Beth. It was also interesting to see the map in Greer's war room and see all the red circles worldwide where Samaritan has taken control in some fashion. It was also telling that Greer didn't know why Samaritan was doing some of the things it was. Samaritan isn't telling Greer squat, but our machine is cluing Harold into at least some of its game plan. I'm still voting for our machine to be good, and I still think the series will ultimately end on an epic battle between the machines and our team and Greer. That means the machines can't go head-to-head this season, as long as TV ratings get back up there. The second interesting development was the confrontation between Elias and Dominic. For the briefest moment, Elias appeared to be vulnerable. I think that Elias may not survive this season, which would add a layer of complexity to our team's survival. That would be disappointing, because it could set up a confrontation at the end of this season between Dominic and our team, and if Shaw also doesn't survive this season, as we were speculating last week, that would mean she wouldn't take Dominic down. I still think she deserves that opportunity. Anyway, we have two great plot threads on this fantastic show. Thanks for all your work on the podcast, gents. This is Barb signing out and wondering which superhero team member I should be for Halloween. Wonder Woman. (laughs) Oh, Shaw. There you go. Hey, there you go, Barb. Uh, Gosh, where do we start with this? Uh, I'd like to touch on the idea of whether or not Samaritan is is sharing information with Greer 
or whether Greer just doesn't care. I, I'm of the opinion that it's not that the Samaritan isn't isn't sharing information with him. He just doesn't care. He's just it's like a spoiled child to him. He'll give it whatever it asks and no no questions asked. What do you think? No, I think that's exactly what's happening. I think he's there to he sees himself there to keep it running, you know, yeah. and uh and and tell me what you need me to do. You know, like he said at the very beginning when it first came online. What are your orders? Mm-hmm. Uh I don't think he has any interest in the reasoning. He just wants to do whatever he has trust in the thing he's created. Yeah, progress for progress's sake, I think, in his mind, and, and that's that's really the, the only thing that matters. I didn't and you said this earlier too, um that that the machine and Harold must have had that little talk already. I was kinda hoping, well, maybe they haven't had it, maybe we'll see it. I would like if they have had it, I would I would really like to maybe see a flashback of that. Me too. Uh, that would be a very interesting conversation. I completely agree. I I want to see that. I don't. I'm kind of bummed if they've had it already. Which again, I'm presuming they have. Like Barb is. Kind of disappointed we didn't get in on that fly on the wall conversation. And it does make sense because he is very trusting of the machine to to keep him uh, safe while he is gallivanting around Hong Kong and trying to uh, spy on uh, Samaritan. Right. So does Elias make it through the season, or does he die? Does Shaw get to take oh. out Dominic? I, I think that I think Elias is 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 a good enough character that they would hang on to him. Me too. Uh, it would be it would be a big deal, not mm-hmm. as big as Carter, clearly, but right. it would be a big deal about um, uh, about losing Elias. Yeah. Mm. Taking out Dominic's with somebody, you know, it's somebody we have, you know, just recently this season been introduced to. I don't think would have as much of an impact. But Elias, who has been around in bits and pieces since the beginning. Um, right. Yeah, I think that would be uh, a big deal. Okay. Well, Doc, Doc H., who is in the chat room with us, and uh, he noted that we pronounced his uh, little moniker, Dotch. We were joking around a little bit last week, and so he used that as his nick for a little while. But he's back to Doc H. And here's what he said. This is Feedback for Pretenders, 28th of Spooktober. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Yes, it's, uh, you know, when you see that man in the red suit and those reindeer, you know what it means. It's almost Halloween. Okay. (laughs) That's right, man. Uh, I didn't gravitate toward this episode like a few earlier this year, but I did like it a good bit. The case of the week wasn't written to evoke any great deal of empathy toward the victims, Elena and Abel Mindler. It seemed like the victims were just an excuse to dive deep into the plotline about the rifles, the armorer, Team Elias, and company. The last act was fairly predictable, too, knowing that certain actors slash characters hadn't been on screen yet. In all fairness, I did get a lost sensation when I realized this episode raised so many more questions than it answered. Yes, that's... (laughs) That had not Um, occurred to me until just now. (laughs) Lots of questions, no answers. Elias is a real pill. He has been so magnanimous for so many seasons on the show that we seem to forget he's a master criminal and a real son of a biscuit when he wants to be. His word, Doc H's words. Yeah, dang. Dang. (laughs) (laughs) Bear was brilliant this episode. We didn't even talk about him, only only eating after Harold. Yes. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, great part, great part. Yeah. He finally got 
the showcase script he needed to show his emotional range and not just the one-dimensional growl scripts he usually gets. My youngest quipped about Bear being saddened at Finch's absence. Aw, he's a Care Bear. Oh, nice. Nice, he is a Care Bear. Good job there, Doc. Foreshadowing alert, foreshadowing alert. One thing that caught my ear, the use of Shaw's first name, Samin, which I'd nearly forgotten since they never use it. This has me worried. They only regularly started using Carter's first name a half dozen episodes before her finale. Is Shaw the marked one now with a big red A sewn onto her little black dress? The A is for assassin, not adulterer in this case. I really hope they do not write her out, as you two speculated they might in the last podcast. I don't see Sarah Shahi doing anything else but Samin Shaw until the POI series finale. She is the source of most of the best one-liners and visual shtick on the show. I would agree. I would, too. One of the more sophisticated humor threads was the allusion to Team Machine superhero status. Walter mentions it, then they have Fusco and Shaw approach in the slow-motion walk of confidence. I guess Walter had his moment, too, when he saves Reese in a take-a-bullet-for-the-team superhero scene. Wow, Reese shot again. He has got to look like Swiss cheese under that suit. This is two weeks in a row for damaging gunplay. Root got hers. Who's next? Fusco? Finch? Shaw? November rating sweeps are getting ready to start. Maybe they'll all take a hit. Then run team machine operations from a makeshift medical triage bay they set up in their abandoned streetcar. Lastly... Finch, what a car. Did he target Beth Bridges on his own volition, or is the entire Hong Kong venture a private mission from the machine? This may be the sweep's plot line, although I haven't seen Jessica Hetch's IMDb page add anything beyond this episode. I'm assuming that is Beth Bridges. I am too. I still haven't forgiven her forgiven her for stealing Ross's wife Carol on Friends. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, they that- were not on a break. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I wouldn't even put that as the same actress. That's that's interesting. And finally, the mystery code of the week. EI10PI. Mm-hmm. Those five, uh, you know, constants that, uh, you know, describe everything else. And he f- signs off, cheers, and says, say my name. Okay, Doc H. Dutch. Yeah, the EI10PI, that was the equation that Beth... When, when she was stating what her favorite equation was. And I, I was trying to figure out my witty opening behind, around that because it reminded me of old McDonald. <laughs> EI10Pi. <laughs> E-I-O. Yeah, I just decided not to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good stuff, Dutch. You always bring your A game with the feedback. You do, you do. Now, I read somewhere that the actress that played Beth was the same actress that played Finch's counselor back in like season. I don't think it was last season. I think it was season two, but like in a flashback scene, but I didn't remember that. And I'm guessing, I mean, they would have remembered each other on screen if it was the same character. So I'm guessing it's just the same actress and they're, they're counting on us not remembering that small scene that that would have been in a flashback scene. Well, they, they can count on me for not remembering. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) That's pretty obscure, really. All right. This one comes in from Todd. Has them numbered as he knows that I like. Thank you, Todd. He's in the live show, by the way. Thank you for that, too. Number one, Team Machine should destroy Samaritan by uploading a similar virus that Stanton uploaded in that cyber weapons facility 
which would most likely destroy both machines because they get the government feeds from the same place. Hmm. Hmm. Not a bad idea. Number two. Do you ever think Samaritan will try to kill someone to set up a trap for Team Machine? Mm, and would our machine notice that? And mm-hmm. then, you know, not, I don't know. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe that would be the situation which Shaw or Root would meet their end. Mm. Number three. I done goofed again. I did Dang. not. <laughs> yeah. I did not expect the mugger to be working with Finch. Probably because I thought that the writers were throwing away the Grace love story for someone who had similar aspirations. Well played. Yes, very nice. I'm so glad they didn't throw away. Mm-hmm. Number four. Do the writers and characters know that you can shut down the machine by cutting off its NSA feeds? So is the machine trying to create backdoors while it still has access so it can become completely independent from the government when Samaritan fights it? Hmm, I didn't know that... Have they said that, that if it cuts off its video feeds, it's essentially dead? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know Samaritan needed the feeds. I, I, I guess I had really not put any thought towards whether or not the machine was still dependent on receiving the feeds or whether it had circumvented those on its own, you know... I would just thought it would become blind and not be able to see what's going on. Mm. That's a good question, though. Uh, Number five, no root again this episode. I hope the every other episode involvement doesn't become consistent. I'm with you there, Todd. And number six, I hope the writers never kill off Scarface like they did Hirsch. They are the kind of characters that we can never get enough of. Yeah, I like the Scarface character. We don't get him very often, but when he shows up, it's usually uh, some good action involved with that scene. And Hirsch was uh, was a little more in front mm-hmm. than uh, than Scarface is. That's right. That's all for now. Until next time, this is Todd in Illinois, where if you think that you can insult the Windy City and get away with it, you got another thing coming. Uh-oh. Ooh. It sounds like Todd's going to go all Tarantino on the POI writers. <laughs> <laughs> yes indeedy all those wonderful guns up in the windy city yes yes that was another good line though i i, I made note of that that line is one of my favorites <laughs> and andrew gave us some feedback this week and he says at first it seemed like a case of the week linked to the brotherhood while that's what it ultimately was what threw me for a loop was elias coming into the fray and the way he did so he said that Reese seemed to have forgotten who he was, and forgotten who Elias was, and made me admire. And it made me admire him even more as a character. From the time of his incarceration through the middle of season three, HR was his biggest target. At this point, HR is out, the Brotherhood is in, and quote unquote, the world has changed. I think Elias has been working for his own interests all along, and I love that he's back on the board in earnest. The story with Walter provided a lot of fun moments. Nice Batman vibe in his last scene with Reese. Mm-hmm. Underneath the humor and meta-character aspects, I found Walter endearing as a man wanting to do something more and who ultimately gained some resolve in who he is and what he does. And yes, I think that's exactly with the throwing away of the badge. Mm-hmm. I thought Finch was up to something, given how he quickly, given how he quickly, how quickly he seemed to be falling for Beth. 
There was also an interview with Michael Emerson in which he teased the interaction between these two characters and with the question of who's playing who. Nevertheless, it was still exciting to see the specifics of Finch's scheme played out, and the ending shots of him walking away so purposefully were awesome, literally and figuratively moving against Samaritan. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, well said, Andrew, well said. Yeah, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Yes, we we're, we're starting to we're starting to move the pieces a little closer together on the chessboard. Indeed. And and Finch put a nice piece right next to their queen, you could say, and they <laughs> don't even know it yet. They've got their attentions elsewhere probably. We assume that, but you never know. Maybe maybe Samaritan is aware of it. We'll find out, I guess. Well, we want to get your feedback on the next episode of Person of Interest, which is not next week. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But you can send us in your feedback about each week's episode by calling the Golden Spiral Media Voice Feedback Line. That number is 304-837-2278. You can also head over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback and leave your feedback by a variety of methods that are available on that webpage. You can, do, you can use those same things, uh, the, the phone number and the website for every single Golden Spiral Media podcast, which are quite a few now. We've got uh, mm-hmm. 15 or 20 that are current. Uh, maybe not quite that many because some of them are on hiatus like yours with Chester's Mill and stuff. But mm-hmm. boy, oh boy, we've got quite a few of them for your listening pleasure. So go check them out. It's been an explosion of podcasts. Yes, indeedy. The golden age of Golden Spiral Media. <laughs> Hopefully we haven't gotten to the golden age yet. Hopefully we're just still getting there. Just ramping up, yes. Yes. Okay, Will, what's happening next week? Okay, nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Crickets next week. Yes, take a break. Catch up on some other Golden Spiral Media podcasts. But on Tuesday, November 11th, we have an episode called Honor Among Thieves, it is the first title this season with more than one word in it. <laughs> I don't know if that means anything, but there it is. In Honor Among Thieves, Shaw joins a team of international thieves, and I think she already has, frankly, from the first episode, in order to keep tabs on the latest poi, but an unexpected turn of events puts her in danger of being detected by Samaritan. Yeah, nice. I see what you did there. (laughs) Thank you. Also, Finch and Root undertake a dangerous sabotage mission. So that's what's happening. Honor Mm. Among Thieves. I wonder if she's going to be, you know, somebody's going to turn on her. Yeah. And Finch and Root working together again. How cool is that? Yes, indeed. Yeah, this is the second time uh, this season. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah. They're getting getting closer together here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they have a, a mutual respect for it and appreciation for each other now, so that's really cool. We have uh, Andreas Dom as Romeo. Romeo, of course, being the one, uh, uh, the name that we got from the Thieve, Thieves Guild that she's hanging around with. So it seems to be that it's going to be her crew again. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the only recurring cast name. So, you know, no Elias, no Dominic, no none of that. But we do have Root, so there's that. That's good. That that gives us something to look forward to as if, you know, an episode of POI wasn't enough in and of itself. <laughs> now, it'll be written by David Slack, and Doc H actually tossed us a little extra information, and uh, Dave, David Slack has written quite a few episodes, uh, 
uh, two in season one, one, two, three in season two, three in season three. So he's got a lot of uh, writing credit of person of interest under his belt. And it'll be directed by Sylvain White. And he previously wrote Endgame, which is where the war in HR comes to a climax and takes out our wonderful detective, Jocelyn Carter. Mm, that was such a good episode. So this is uh, this should be a good one. This should be uh, we're pushing up the numbers here, the numbers as far as the ratings. Yeah, well, and Doc mentioned also in his feedback, we're looking at November sweeps during this time of year as well. So that's not to be uh, overlooked. Which is probably why we have a break this week to push the push these into the big numbers weeks. Yeah, yeah. I didn't look to see if there was any special programming next week that that might have caused it to be off. But you know, they have to take weeks off. There are twenty two, twenty three episodes in a season, and more weeks that uh, in, in the broadcast schedule. So that's just one of the unfortunate things that we encounter with these types of shows. So we get a vacation. We do no. I don't have to put up with you next week. <laughs> oh, man, I'm not going to get a paycheck either. Golly. <laughs> yeah, about that. Um, <laughs> well, thanks, Doug, for podcasting with me for this week. I hope you'll be back in two weeks. In two I will. Years. I will. I like it so much, I'll be back. Sweet. And we hope that you will be back with us again in two weeks as well when we when we uh, take a look at Honor. Was it Honor Among Thieves? Is that what it was? Yes, Honor Among Thieves. So until then, again, thanks for listening to this episode of the Person of Interest podcast. I'm Daryl, and I'm going to go work on my superhero voice for two weeks. (laughs) Plenty of time. And I'm Doug saying that if your number comes up, we hope there's a man in a suit or even his pretender watching over you. (laughs) 